Let's open our Bibles, if you will, while you're standing. Let's look at 1 Thessalonians chapter number 1. First Thessalonians chapter number 1. Let me read to you the verse, first ten verses of this chapter. The Bible says, Paul and Silvanus and Timotheus, under the church of the Thessalonians, which is in God the Father and in the Lord Jesus Christ, grace be unto you and peace from God our Father and the Lord Jesus Christ. We give thanks to God always for you all, making mention of you in our prayers, remembering without ceasing your work of the faith and labor of love and patience of hope, in our Lord Jesus Christ, in the sight of God and our Father, knowing, brethren, beloved, your election of God, for our gospel came not unto you in word only, but also in power, and in the Holy Ghost, and in much assurance, as ye know what manner of men we were among you for your sake. And ye became followers of us and of the Lord, having received the word in much affliction with joy of the Holy Ghost, so that ye were examples to all that believe in Macedonia and Achaia. For from you sounded out the word of the Lord, not only in Macedonia and Achaia, but also in every place your faith to Godward is spread abroad, so that we need not speak anything. For they themselves show us what manner of entering in we had unto you, and how ye turned to God from idols to serving the living and true God, and to wait for his Son from heaven, whom he raised from the dead, even, even Jesus, which delivered us from the wrath to come. You may be seated this morning. I'm excited to be here. My family and I have been missionaries to the country of Honduras officially since 2000, but we moved to Honduras in 2003 after doing deputation and spending a year in, in Costa Rica trying to learn the Spanish language. And I've had family members ask, hey, why did you go to Honduras of all places? And I just have to tell them that's where God wanted us. Well, what do you miss about Honduras? And I'll tell you, I don't, or what do you miss about the United States? And I'll have to be honest with you, I don't miss anything. Uh, I enjoy the, the, where I live. God, is, God has made me happy where I'm at. You know what? You can be happy wherever you're at <laughs> as long as you know you're in God's will. But it's so dangerous, I had somebody say. And uh, you know what? It's dangerous anywhere. You go to downtown L.A., you can get mugged. In fact, I had a, uh, we had a furlough vehicle here. and was stored in, being stored by Lighthouse Baptist Church in Moreno Valley. And uh, I got a phone call from the pastor a while back. Uh, Brother Tate, I, I'm sad to say this, but your car got stolen. My car, it was in the States. How does my car in the States get stolen? Well, it did. I've never had a car stolen in Honduras yet, <laughs> but God has protected us. I remember one day, uh, one of our church family members had a, their father had passed away and he'd lived, uh, it was back when I was preaching in the mountains and pastored in the, in, in the city of Ohohona and their father was going to be, uh, uh, had their memorial service in the capital city and because I was in the mountains at the time, I didn't know a whole lot about the capital city or where to go, where not to go. You got to remember the capital city of Tegucigalpa at the time was probably ranked the eighth most dangerous city in the world. 
It makes national news when someone doesn't get killed. And that's happened once since I've been there. And so I'm driving to this funeral, and I've, I, I got my coat and tie on. We don't use suit coats a whole lot in Honduras. It's hot. And I'm driving with my associate pastor in, the, in my passenger seat, and we're not exactly sure where we're going. They said they would call when, they, when the arrangements had been made. In Honduras, if someone dies, you've got 24 hours to get them in the, in the grave because they don't have an embalming process. So it's basically your family member dies and you start getting, getting, getting with it. You, at midnight, you start digging the hole there in the cemetery. And so they called me. I'm gonna, we're going to let you know where to go. And so we start driving towards the capital city about a half an hour drive. And I get this phone call. They say, Pastor, you need to go to this and this and this area. And I'm like, I've never heard of that area before in my life. I'm going to pass you the phone. I'm going to pass the phone to my associate. Tell him where we're going. And his eye, his, they told him. And he turned ghost white. And he's Honduran. He's, he, he's kind of, he's chocolate color. <laughs> never seen a guy turn so white. He goes, Pastor, we're going where? I told him, hey, I don't, we're, we're going to go to this funeral. No, but Pat, you don't know. It's dangerous there. I, said, I don't care. We're going to go to the funeral. And so I drive and we parked my little, I was a little Mazda pickup. And I parked. It was a very congested area. I parked on the side of the road and hopped out and had my Bible in my hand. My associate pastor timidly, he's, he was in his late 50s. He hopped out and he had his Bible in his hand. And we're, he's walking nervously. I'm, I'm ignorant. I'm having a blast. I hop out and two guys approach me and you can tell they're gang members. They got tattoos all over the place and they got, right, they got pistols in their, in, in their shorts. And they come up to me and say, hey, are you, are you a pastor? I said, yes, sir, I am. You going to the funeral in there? Uh, yeah, it's right there, right in that door. I'm going to go right there. I'm supposed to preach. Can I help you with something? They looked at me and said, hey, um, we need you to do us a favor. And normally when I think favor, I'm grabbing my wallet. <laughs> I, don't want, I, I don't have favor money today. They said, we need you to move your truck about, about six feet behind you. Part, about six feet back, if you could. It's like, that's kind of a weird request. You're going to ask me to move my truck six foot backwards. Why, why do you want me to move my truck? And they said, well, we're fixing to have a gang fight here. We don't want to get it dirty. <laughs> okay. I hop in my truck. I back it up six feet. I go into the funeral, and soon enough, there's not, a, I mean, three guys that are half drunk beating each other up in the same parking spot I was at. After the funeral, I come out, and these two, same two guys with their pistols come up and say, hey, there's a lot of people in there. Do you need help getting these people to the cemetery? And I say, you know what? I, I, I don't know. I'm not in charge of the transportation. And they go, they grab their pistol. Hey, we can help you get a bus. I know what they meant. They wanted to hijack a bus. I don't need a bus, thank you. You can talk to the family members. If they want a bus, they can call you. <laughs> but things like that happen all the time when you're serving the Lord. Sometimes missionaries face death, but many times God protects. Because of that, God has allowed us to be in the field 17 years. We started in the mountain church of Ohohona in the Light of the World Baptist Church you think you got it bad. I was the only one in the church. My wife and I were the only ones in the church with a driver's license. <laughs> Our first service, we had four guys on horseback come up for the service. Now, their wives walked behind with all the kids. 
<sighs> had to talk to those guys. Let the wife ride the horse. She had all the kids. But for 11 years, we worked in the mountains, and God blessed, and God opened amazing doors we could never imagine. 2014, we moved to the city of Don Lee. We went from a town of about 8,000 in the mountains with dirt roads to a city where everybody's got high-speed internet. Now, high-speed internet here is like a half a gig of speed. We got five. Five mega. <laughs> and we're like, wow, we can... Yeah, it's fun. Uh, but hey, we got a pizza hut. It's a, I mean, it's a great place to eat. And so God moves us to the city and God does an amazing thing. We help with the Bethlehem Baptist Church there and God has grown the ministry. Today, because of Bethlehem Baptist Church, the Bethlehem Baptist Seminary started last year with five full-time students. God provided us about 10-minute drive from the church. God gave us, just gave, I didn't spend any money on it, seven acres. Then on top of that, the people that donated the land said, hey, you guys need buildings, so we're going to build you some buildings. They built us two dormitories, each one with 100 beds. Two weeks ago, my home church said, we need to build a cafeteria. They need a place to eat, so we're now building a 50-foot by 150-foot dining hall, $80,000 project. It's amazing what God is doing. The greatest thing the unsaved world can do for us is to allow us to influence them. And as I think about being influenced, I have to think of West Coast Baptist College. And I have to think of the Lancaster Baptist Church. As you read your New Testament, there are many churches mentioned, but none quite like the church in Thessalonica. You can read in Corinthians and you can read of different churches and many of them even, uh, there was some type of rebuke, especially in Corinthians. In, the Philipp in Philippians, uh, uh, Paul had to admonish the church, uh, uh, two of the ladies, hey, be of the same mind, be careful. But if you read in 1 Thessalonians, there was not a rebuke mentioned. They were an example church. Such an example that the Bible says in verse number 8, For whom you sounded out the word of the Lord, not only in Macedonia and Achaia, but also in every place your faith to Godward is spread abroad, so that we need not speak anything. He was basically saying, I cannot go anywhere in your region without someone having heard the gospel. You've made an influence. You've impacted a culture. That's our desire today. We want to impact. We want to influence our culture for Christ. That's why for many years we've seen the need to train pastors in Honduras. They can't come to West Coast Baptist College. They can't come to Leadership Conference. So we do something for them there. But we need to do it for the cause of Christ. And I want to show you here the biblical pattern for, for having your life count to influence the world for Christ. How to have an influential life, if you will. 
Look with me, if you will, in our text here. The Bible says in verse 5, For our gospel came not unto you in word only, but also in power, and in the Holy Ghost, and in much assurance, as ye know what manner of men we were among you for your sake. If you want to have a life that impacts and influences your nation or your culture or your community or even your family for Christ, you have to start by having a receptive heart to the Word of God. You have to start with the Word of God. You can't base your influence on programs, on philosophies. You have to base what you're going to do for the cause of Christ on the Word of God. You see, the Bible says in verse number 5, For our gospel came not unto you in word only. Look in verse number 6. The Bible says, And ye became followers of us and of the Lord, having received the word in much affliction with joy, the joy of the Holy Ghost. In, verse number, in chapter number 2, verse number 13, the Bible says, for this cause also we thank God without ceasing, because when ye received the word of God, which ye had heard of us, ye received it not as the word of men, but as in truth, the word of God, which effectually worketh also in you that believe. These verses reveal to us the receptivity of the church in Thessalonica. Let me tell you, it's important to know what you believe. I grew up in a generation where all our beliefs were determined by the pastoral staff. Why do you dress like you do? Well, the pastor told me to. Why don't you do this? And why don't you go there? And, and they, the list of do's and don'ts and, and, and things like that, they were all determined by your pastor. Let me tell you, that's a sad way to live your life. I had to talk with all my older kids. I've got six kids, okay? It's, I've got a lot. My oldest is here in Bible college. My youngest are a set of four-year-old twins that we adopted. But I have, when they get to their teenage years, I, I tell them, and I sit them down one at a time, and I tell them, you know what? While you're in my home, you live by my rules. Because one day I will give an account to God for what we do here. But one day you're going to have your own home. One day you're going to move out. You won't even be in Bible college. And you're going to need to know what you believe. And your beliefs need to be based on the principles found in the Word of God. You need to know the why of what you do. Today, young people are sloughing off religion. 75% of those that graduate high school don't follow their parents' faith anymore. They leave. They abandon their parents' faith. Why? I think in many cases... They didn't know the Word of God. They heard it, but they didn't know it. They didn't receive it. The church in Thessalonica, hey, they received God's Word. They were receptive to it. They wanted to hear it. We need to have a passion. That means we need to value the Word of God. So few Christians today really value and treasure the Word of God. 
The psalmist said in Psalms 119 verse number 16, I will delight myself in thy statutes. I will not forget thy word. The question I have for you young people is when did you, when's the last time you actually delighted? It was a joy to be in God's word. Oh, but I'm in Bible college. I'm in God's word all the time. That doesn't mean you're delighting in it. For some, I remember Bible college days. Long time ago. It wasn't so much of a delight having to stay up till like 11 o'clock at night, 12, trying to memorize something for a test the next day. That's not delighting in God's word. The, the church in Thessalonica, man, it was a joy for them. Hey, I want to hear it. I want to see it lived out. I want to I know what God's word says. Can you honestly say that you love to spend time in God's Word? Do you meditate on its precepts all the day? I know these are penetrating questions, but remember that whenever I point a finger at you, I'm also speaking to myself. Jeremiah chapter number 15, verse number 16 says, Thy words were found, and I did eat them, and thy word was unto me the joy and rejoicing of my heart. Reminds me of a story of a pastor that was talking to a little Sunday school girl. She's probably five, in between five and seven years old. And the pastor said, hey, do you know all about the Bible? The little girl responded, oh, yes, I, yes, I do. Yes, sir. Can you perhaps tell me something that's in your Bible? Oh, I can tell you, I can tell you what's in our Bible. Our Bible has everything in it. Really, said the pastor. Well, what's in your Bible then? Tell me some of the things that are in your Bible. The little girl said, well, my dad's credit card receipt is in there. My, my, my brother's first lock of hair is in there from his first haircut. All the important papers we have are in the Bible. For many, that's as far as their Bible intellect goes. But we need to have an appreciation for the Word of God. Secondly, we need to have an appropriation of the Word of God. We need to internalize God's Word. God's Word is not just a good book. It's the good book and it was written not to the world. It was written to me. It needs to be personalized. Look again in 1 Thessalonians chapter number 2, verse number 13. For this cause also we thank God without ceasing, because when ye received the word of God, which ye heard of us, ye received it not as the word of men, but as in truth the word of God, which effectually worketh also in you that believed. Notice that word receive there is used twice. There are two different words in the, word, in, in the Greek. The second time it's used, it actually means to take into your heart. This means internalizing what God says. God's word says, be ye holy, because I am holy. What does that mean internally? That means Jason Tate, be holy. 
It doesn't leave any doubt who should be holy. I should be holy. I shouldn't be holy because the college rule book says it. I shouldn't be holy because the pastor says it. I should be holy because God said it and He said it to me. And one day I will be held accountable personally for what I do with what God has said to me. We should, not, we should do more than passively hear the Word of God. It should affect us when we hear it. There are certain things that you hear. It makes an impression. I've been a missionary, and those have been on the mission field for any amount of time. If you've been on a foreign field that doesn't speak English, you, you get used to the language that you work in. I, I struggle preaching in English. I haven't done it a whole lot. I, I'm used to preaching in Spanish. It's funny when I go home and uh, my, my kids are playing with their friends and we have a couple of our church friends that, that are from our church that are bilingual and so you'll hear a couple of sentences in English and then a, a couple of phrases in Spanish and it's English and it just kind of, whoa, where did that come from? And, and we laugh and it's like, where did that come from? We weren't trying to speak in both languages at the same time. And it makes us laugh. We can be in a grocery store in the country of Honduras and I can hear, I can hear an American. They can be on the other side of the, of the grocery store and they'll say something in English. I'm, oh, where are they at? I heard that. <laughs> and instead of doing my grocery shop, I'm looking, where's the gringo? Where's the gringo? Where's the gringo? I want to find him. Another thing you hear, if you hear the Star Spangled Banner, if you're an American, and you hear it on the foreign field, Wow. It might seem kind of boring if you go to a baseball game every week, but if you only hear it once every three or four years, it's impactful. My question is to myself, when I hear God's word, does it impact me as much as a song? Do I take notice as much as I hear a foreign language being spoken in the distance? Does God's word impact me internally like those worldly things do? Sometimes men and women are not affected by God's word because they don't have life in them. Look with me, if you will, the 2 Corinthians chapter number 13. 2 Corinthians chapter number 13. Second Corinthians chapter number 13. Verse number 5. Paul here is talking to the church in Corinth. And he doesn't take for granted that everybody's just saved. You can be in church with a whole bunch of lost people. In verse number 5 he says, Examine yourselves whether ye be in the faith. Prove your own selves. Know ye not your own selves how that Jesus Christ is in you, except ye be reprobates? There's only two reasons why a professing Christian would not delight himself in God's Word. 
And I use the word professing Christian because there are a lot of people that profess things they aren't. First reason is they don't have Christ. If you don't have that delight, if you don't have that desire to be in God's Word, one of the primary reasons people don't have a delight and a desire to be in God's Word is the Bible says they're dead in their trespasses and sins. They're dead. Now in Honduras, because of uh, the, the, the different ways of embalming that they don't have, uh, we've had to, I've had to be around a whole lot of dead bodies. I've had to help lift dead bodies and put them in caskets. That's creepy. <laughs> but you know what I've learned about a dead body? At every funeral there in Honduras, they always give food. And there's lots of food. Family could be poor, but their neighbors will help with, with the provisions and things like that. And you can, go to a, you can go to a funeral and you'll get served food. And sometimes it's really good. And you'll get served some of my favorite coffee you've ever had because we live in coffee country. But for some reason, they never offer it to the dead person. You can have the best carne asada. Now, we, I like carne asada Argentinian style. I like the flat steak. It's, it's about yay big, and you can cut it with a fork. And it smells amazing. And man, I, you could offer that to a dead person all you want, and they won't do anything to it. <laughs> you can offer them the hot, dark roast coffee that I love and I drink every day, and they won't drink it. They have no appetite for anything. What I fear today is our, in our Christian churches, we're full of dead people walking who have no true appetite for God's Word. They're the first to leave the church. I'm just not being fed here. I, I tend to laugh at that. I consider the church not only a spiritual clinic, I, th I think of it like a spiritual supermarket. I've never gone to Walmart hungry and come out sati satiated. <laughs> I always go in hungry and come out hungry. Because Walmart's not there to feed me. They're to offer their, the grocery store's there to offer me the food that I can take home and prepare. Many times churches like that, the pastor off offers up fresh vegetables and spiritual, spiritual food and says, hey, here's where you can find it. Take it home and eat it at home. But a spiritually dead person has no appetite. Second person that has no spiritual appetite, no appetite for God's word, are those that are sick spiritually. You come down with the flu, the stomach bug, you... Nothing looks good. In fact, the smell of food makes you sick. Praise the Lord, last, night, last time we came back uh, to drop Audrey off for, for college, on the plane, all my kids on the plane come down with the flu. Oh, we had fun going to our car. We, we got stuck. Instead of traveling to, to, to the graduation right away and getting everything, we got stuck in one spot for like four days until they got over the flu enough to where we could travel. Nobody wanted to eat. I was the only one in that trip that did not get sick, praise the Lord. I was enjoying all the food. They didn't, it, my grocery bill was zero. <laughs> they didn't want to eat anything. 
You might be here today and you don't have any appetite, but you know you've been saved. That's why we need to examine ourselves. When we harbor sin in our heart, there's no real desire to hear God's word. First thing, they appreciated God's word. They received it. Secondly, they applied God's, they, they, they appropriated God's word. They made it internal. The God's word is not for just the world, it's for me. And thirdly and finally, they applied God's word. They applied God's word. One of the things I've learned as a parent and learned as a Christian throughout the years is you always do what you believe. Your beliefs always, always, always follow, your, your actions always follow your beliefs. You never do anything you don't believe in. For example, college. We have a college. We give out a syllabus at the start of every semester. On the syllabus, projects. Do this, do this, do this, and there, here's the due dates. What does your average college kid do? I got plenty of time. I'll do this later. What happens the night before the project's due? Look at the calendar. Oh, it's due tomorrow. Ah. Oh. You thought you had enough time to wait. But the reality is, the due date crept on you faster than you thought. Those that are diligent and manage their time wisely, due dates don't surprise them. They are, they're, as we say in Honduras, tranquilo. <laughs> yeah, it's a little bit of work every day, but hey, tranquilo, we're good. They're not the ones staying up all night trying to finish their homework with a flashlight. <laughs> They're not the ones keeping their roommates up. Just leave the light on another 20 minutes. Why? They're, they believe the correct thing. I, get it done. Get it done. Apply yourself. God's word does not do any good in our life if we don't apply it. You can say, salvation is for me, but if I don't receive Christ, it does me no good. If I don't apply it to my life, it does no good. We live in a world that knows about God's Word, and we know it's for us, but we don't apply it. This means putting it into practice in our lives. When the Thessalonians read the Great Commission, their attitude was not just that Christians in general should win others to Christ, but we need to win our loved ones and neighbors to Christ. When they read the God's teachings on prayer, their attitude was not that churches ought to be a place of prayer, but we need to be a church of prayer. So let's meet together to pray. They didn't think to themselves in general, a generic sense, that it is the duty of a Christian to be faithful to the house of God. Rather, they thought, let us be faithful to the services here at Lancaster Baptist Church and West Coast Baptist College. James speaks a lot about that. 
Now, if you study the book of James, many people look at that and say, hey, it's a very controversial book. James talks about faith and without, without, faith without works is dead. James is not speaking on a vertical level. He's speaking horizontally. If you say you believe something and don't do it, it does no good. It's dead to me, a human being. You can say you believe God and trust God, but where is it in practice? Look, if you will, in the book of James, chapter number 1. James chapter number 1, verse number 22. The Bible says here, But be ye doers of the word, and not hearers only, deceiving your own selves. For if any man be a hearer of the word, and not a doer, he is like unto a man beholding his natural face in a glass. For beholdeth, he beholdeth himself, and goeth his way, and straightway forgetteth what manner of man he was. But whosoever looketh into the perfect law of liberty, and continueth therein, he being not a forgetful hearer, but a doer of the work, is man. This man shall be blessed in his deed. It was for this reason that the, that the Thessalonian church was able to impact their world for Christ. They put it into practice. Bible colleges across the globe have become famous for hearers of the word only. We fill ourselves up with knowledge, but we don't do anything with it. I know pastors like that. I know missionaries like that. I know students like that. This world is tired of seeing that. It surprises me that an unsaved world knows how a, how a Christian ought to live. I have unsaved people come up to me all the time, but pastor, I thought a Christian wasn't supposed to do this or that and that. And I see this person who claims to be a Christian doing this, this or that. And I have to step back and say, that's, your, that's a bad example. He is the example. I'm not even the... I, I want to be the example. I want to be able to stand behind the pulpit and say, hey, follow me as I follow Christ. But the main purpose is follow Christ. But that is why so many people are just tired of the fakeness. They want to see someone who lives what they believe with a godly spirit. Right. We need to apply God's word. Some of that applying has to be following the Lord's leading. Obeying every impulse of the Holy Spirit. God will lead you. He led Paul. I remember when I was in high school, I wasn't sure where God wanted me until God led me to obey my pastor. I went on a missions trip. And during that missions trip, God showed me, you're going to live here. Praise the Lord. I got to Honduras as a missionary. And you know what? I got there, I mean, I'm gonna, we're going to do something for Christ. Every missionary is like a type A personality. They get to the field, we're going, we are going to change Honduras for Christ. Let me tell you. So you know where God sent me? God sent me to the mountains. 
God didn't send me to the capital city of 1.5 million. He sent me to a village of 8,000 people. It was a center of commerce for its area. Lord, why here? I mean, it was obvious God was using this area. And he wanted us, I mean, he provided, I, God gave us property. He gave us a building. I didn't have to buy anything. God provided everything we needed. And we were there, and, and, but I'm looking, at, I'm looking at a congregation of 80 where I'm driving, I'm the only one with a car. Going, Lord, how are we going to change Honduras for Christ from here? Knocked on a door. Guy answered the door, tall guy for a Honduran, probably 5'10". And he told me his name. His name was Ruben Zelaya. Had the privilege of leading Ruben to Christ and led his girlfriend to Christ shortly after they got married. Ruben came up to me and said, uh, Pastor, uh, we've got, I need you to come and help me at my work. Now, Ruben is an electrician. I know zero about electricity. I say, don't put your finger in the socket. That's my help for the day. I was a mechanic in Bible college. Not an electrician. No, Pastor, you don't understand. I need you to come and my boss wants you to come and preach. Okay. Where do you work? Well, I work for the president. I said, the president of who? He said, the president of Honduras. You live here and work for the... Yes, I'm the president's electrician. You're the... I, it took me a year to figure this out. Where have you been? What do you mean you want me to come and... You're not going to be preaching to the president. I, I get paid by the presidential honor guard. And the general in charge of the presidential security task force has invited you to come and preach to them. And he wants you to come so bad he's willing to pay your gas. Here's a coupon. Sign me up. I went and I preached. I was scared to death. You guys are scary, but not as bad as those guys. I had 30 soldiers, each one with an AK-47 in their hand, saying, preach to me at 7 in the morning. I'm like, oh, I don't preach that early in the morning, but I will for you guys. And I was, but I, I, that one opportunity turned into a regular preaching Thursday, every Thursday, we would, be, we would go and be the presidential honor guard chaplains. Preaching to soldiers from all over Honduras. Hundreds made decisions to accept Christ. That opportunity would have never happened if I had went to the big city. I went to where God called me. Now, praise the Lord, God's opened the door. Now we have even greater influence. But the question is, young person today, are you receptive to God's word? Are you willing to receive it? Are you willing to internalize it? And are you willing to apply it? Because if we're going to change the direction of this world, spiritually speaking, we're not going to do it through politics. We're not going to do it through programs. We're going to do it by living, believing, and receiving this. Because the world is dying to see it.